Welcome back to another exciting episode of Not Playing with Lex and Dan. I'm Dan, and I'm joined, as always, by that other guy. I'm not playing. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm Lex. I knew I was going to screw that up. We haven't done this show in a while, so clearly we're a little bit rusty with names and that kind of stuff. Lex, why don't don't you explain to the fine, fine people listening at home what Not Playing is? Uh, Well, Not Playing, Dan, and dear listeners, is a podcast wherein Dan and I, who have embarrassing gaps in our pop culture knowledge, finally watch movies that pretty much everyone else has already seen, and the kinds of movies that people express shock that we haven't seen already. I think that was a succinct uh, summary of Not Playing. Thank you, Lex. Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, Dan, it was my turn to pick. Uh, This is a movie that I have seen and that I really do love that you have never seen called Mannequin. Oh, it's not Mannequin? No, it's not The Mannequin either. This is just Mannequin. And there is a sequel, by the way, Mannequin 2, which I have never seen. Is that Mannequin 2, Nuns on the Run? (laughs) I believe that's right. Uh, But Mannequin, um, a 1987 film, uh, what do you know about it? Do you know anything Uh, about this movie? I I know a couple things. Um, So I'm going to say uh, Andrew McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, as the lead, who's who's playing his sort of usual gawky young teenage boy, I believe. Or, or oh no, teenager. he's the mannequin. Oh, he's the oh, jeez. I don't no, know actually, anything about this movie. Now he is he is not a teen in this movie. He is a oh, working a, man. He is a young adult. We yeah. shall say. Um, and Kim Cattrall. That's right. This is something like what thirty years after Sex in the City. Is that about right? <laughs> Something like that. Before thirty years before. Oh, uh, before. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, that's less interesting. No. Um. Kim Cattrall plays a, a a mannequin that that comes to life from a department store, and they have wacky adventures. And there's something where there's don't they like ride on a scooter? That's like I <laughs> there think, is the scooter okay. scene. Yes, that that apparently is what has stuck in my memory from the the little that I know about this movie. That's fine. I, I never even think of the scooter scene. I will <laughs> tell you even before we watch. Uh, one, uh, there are some amazing performances both from James Spader and Estelle Getty. Oh, I like James Spader. I'm a fan. I, I have to tell you, I wouldn't say that James Spader is unrecognizable, but when you think of the kinds of characters that James Spader plays these days, this is very different, so I think you'll enjoy that. Okay. Uh, I would also say that at least, I mean, I haven't seen this movie now in probably a decade at least, but I recall being madly in love with uh, Kim Cattrall's character. Like, I want my own mannequin version of her to come to life. (laughs) That's a little creepy. And when you say your own mannequin version of her, yeah, is that because I, in your office you have a mannequin version of Kim Cattrall? Yeah. Well, Don't, I have a... As your attorney, I suggest you not answer that question. <laughs> uh, also worth noting, the so- the Starship song, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, won, uh, got a nomination for the Best Original Song Academy Award, and years later was my first song at my wedding. Wow. Does your wife know about your strange <laughs> fixation with mannequin? <laughs> she picked the song. <laughs> Coincidence, you say? Weirdly, though, I danced with a mannequin the whole time while Lauren just stood to the side. I'm kind of picturing that, and it's really freaking me out, man. <laughs> oh boy! So, but you don't know anything else about the movie. You don't know uh, like, the conceit. What happens with the mannequin? I, I, you got, you got me. I, I other than the mannequin coming to life, it, uh, that's that's about. I think that's about what I know. And you're telling me this is not a horror movie. It is not. 
It is not a horror movie. Is it, it is... a horrible movie? Uh, I guess well, I'll have I'm to curious... judge for myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious to see what you think. Um, I really do love it, and I think I love it unironically. Like I think I just genuinely love it. So I'm curious to okay. see what All you right. think. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I want to see how it goes. Well, I've I've queued up the film dance so that uh, it's as soon as the uh, Metro Golden Mayor Lion fades to black. For All me, right. it's the eight second mark on the that's, film, but that's, I have that paused right there. That is about where I am as well. Um, you want to count us in? I, I would love to count us in. All right, so we're lined up and ready to go, and we will hit play in three, two, one. So, Dan, you have now seen Mannequin. I I guess I have. <laughs> I put the man in Mannequin? No, Scotch I put the... The, the... the question, I think, on my mind is, you've seen it, but have you but, enjoyed it? <laughs> have I believed it? Yeah. Based on a true story, by the way. <laughs> uh that was it was very interesting it's very uh, like i said i think it's very it's very 80s it's 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 emblematic of the 80s there's a very specific type of you know vocabulary used in the 80s vocabulary fashion style yeah this basically hits everything right this this is i mean it's very much of its era i have no argument there but you haven't yet weighed in no i i you know i i thought it was actually entertaining um yeah, it has a certain charm to it, I have to admit. And Kim Cattrall is pretty great. I can understand why young Lex was madly in love with Kim Cattrall this <laughs> Well, that, it's, that's not her. You know, it's interesting that that was kind of a thing in the 80s, the whole, like, the perfect dream girl thing. Right. I mean, because I'm thinking of, like, a Weird Science, too, which has kind of a similar-ish And Weird plot. Science 1. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, I don't... Hold on. I want to know where Mannequin 2 goes with this whole thing, because, like, does she turn back into a mannequin? Does he turn into a mannequin? Mannequin like, 2, the mannequining. <laughs> Everybody's a mannequin in Mannequin 2. The whole world is populated by mannequins. Well, Mannequin 2 has a one-star rating. Yeah, it's called a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. The film stars Christy Swanson as a mannequin who was frozen 1,000 years ago by an evil sorcerer using a so magic necklace. They basically just remade. Right, Mannequin, it's essentially Teen Wolf me. Two. Yes, well, Meshach Taylor carries over, so good for him. She remains frozen until the necklace is removed, and can stay permanently unfrozen if she receives a kiss from her true love. They once again use "Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now," and uh, yes, Hollywood is still. A key I enjoy player. the. The evil sorcerer, now reincarnated as Count Gunther Spetzel, arrives on the scene to take Jesse and a prize necklace and hop a flight for Bermuda. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah, that sounds. I, I don't think this movie was crying out for a sequel. <laughs> I do feel like the story was well contained. They, uh, yeah, they kind of wrapped everything up at the end there. Yeah. So, I mean, beyond was there was your entire fascination with Mannequin a, a result of Kim Cattrall? Because that, I mean. I'd be willing to allow that. I don't think that's a bad reason to have a no, fascination with Mannequin. I think it goes beyond her. I mean, I think that's a big part of it, but I also just love the whole conceit, like that there was this secret person and that he made her come to life. And it is funny. Like, I can oh, say yeah, as a kid, so... there's the funniness of seeing James Bader and his guard friend get bested over and over yeah, again. Yeah, it's very, very slapsticky. Right. And then, I mean, I think that there's... 
the movie knows that it's campy, I feel like. I feel like it's at least somewhat self-aware of the ridiculousness of its premise. I think how could it not be, right? And it feels like they are they have some fun with it. Well, because I you know, it's interesting because you know, when I was talking a little bit before about the 1980s sort of vocabulary, it has this playfulness, which you find a lot in 80s movies. Yes. I mean, again, if you look at something like Weird Science or if you look at something like we were talking briefly about Short Circuit in there, because the which they share a villain. Um, uh, but it has that sort of like playful kind of we're not going to spend too much time worrying about how or why the weird things happen here. Right. Um, like in, in short circuit, it's just like lightning strikes and the robots now alive. Like we don't need to like come up with a complicated backstory as to like, you know, the, the technology behind why this made a robot come to life. Right. I think you could get away with less in some ways because viewers weren't as like, they didn't need to be, have everything explained to them. Right. And there wasn't going to be a Wikipedia article devoted to it at the time. So they didn't have to worry about it. And so, I mean, there's something kind of refreshing in that aspect of the whole, like, we're not going to over-explain things. We're just kind of, kind of, we're going to set up a premise and then just kind of take it for a ride. Um, and I think that works in its favor. I mean, if you, I think if you made Mannequin today, I don't know why you would, but I think if you made Mannequin today, people would be like, that's really derivative of Mannequin. But I think if you, <laughs> I think if you made Mannequin today, people would be like, I don't understand. Like, what made her? Are we saying that God made her <laughs> well, come alive? I don't. What I'm curious about now, which I've never thought about in my other viewings of this film, uh, is how did she come alive for Christopher Columbus, and how was she alive in the time of Michelangelo? Was she also a mannequin? Right, because I'm exactly right. For him, he had to mannequinize her for her to appear. <laughs> That's a little impolite. Mannequinizing. Um, yeah, I don't know. The thing, the other thing that got me in here was that just how different. You know, I, I don't know. We remarked upon it while we were watching, but the uh, the, the intolerant, the casual intolerance of the '80s was. Uh, pretty uh pretty blatant huh yeah not a lot of not a lot of uh you know tolerance for homosexuality at that point i guess yeah although i mean well it's not so much that even because i think that character despite that character being kind of stereotypical um they're you know hollywood is not portrayed in a in a mean fashion necessarily right. i mean like he's one of the few like nice guys in the film right exactly. like, I mean, like he's you said way he's extremely there. tolerant yeah he's crazy flamboyant and ridiculous in that respect but it's the it's the other cast members well you know i was gonna say it's the other cast members who are speaking ill of him who are made to look bad although i don't feel like the film was actively criticizing that woman who said when she was trying to identify who was talking in the bathroom that it was either the yeah you know, the vice president or the, what did she say? The fairy or the, yeah, yeah. or the dummy, the dummy, right. That's not that she wasn't made to look bad, but you know, there's nothing bad to say about Hollywood in this film. He is, he's totally understanding or accepting and he's friendly and he's supportive and emotional. But I think he's the, I think he's the heart of the film, Dan. <laughs> he's the bedrock. He is. And he makes um, the bedrock. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> It's it is yeah it's a film that doesn't have a time so we basically got him and you've got Estelle Getty's character and that's pretty much it for like and and besides Andrew McCarthy and Kim Kim Cattrall you don't have a lot of other sympathetic characters in this movie you got a lot of you spread the villainy around a lot right yes because you got you got uh, Felix and you got Richards and you got B J and you got Roxy to a certain right. extent Roxy really turns I mean for some reason she was with him in the first place but she really turns on him in a kind of amazingly harsh way 
yeah, in a way that's not terribly realistic, but also in a way that kind of feels like if you're doing a 1980s rom-com, like you need to kind of set that up to the, you know, this is the, there's always like a significant other who's kind of, I don't know, like cad is the quite the right word. I keep comparing it to Short Circuit because that's like the, that was like one of my favorite movies as a kid, you know, in the 80s. And there's like, a, I think um, it's, a, oh shoot, isn't, isn't Elizabeth Shue in that movie, I want to say? Um now I'm blanking. Um, no, it's Ali Sheedy. And Ali Sheedy's boyfriend is like this, you know, he's kind of the ex-boyfriend uh, jackass character. And I feel like there's always, like, there's always the other love interest, right? There's It's always a love triangle in some way. Uh-huh. But the, but the other, but the third part of the triangle is generally like, well, you know, it's it's a no-brainer that they're not going to end up with them. Right. And it's, I mean, but you're right. There are very few nice people besides those main four characters. Uh, maybe the first dog is nice, right? Because he 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 refuses. <laughs> he, he seems. I mean, the second dog's not not mean either. They're they're just being ill used. I by feelings. you know, as a father now watching this movie, this maybe is the first time I've seen it as a father. It probably is. Uh, I do feel bad for her mother. Like, okay, yes, she wanted the Manigan's mother. You know, she they they wanted Emmy to get married, and Emmy didn't like their options. But then she's just gone. Like she leaves the world as far as they're concerned. That that had to be rough. Yeah, I, that does seem like it's on, you know, one of, again, the sort of like premise doesn't get explained too much. Like what happened to her mom? <laughs> like she's just, she's just like, oh, the gods took her. It's all cool. Um, so actually you, you bring up an interesting point because I'm kind of curious to know from your perspective as a parent, um, is this a movie you would show to your kids? Maybe not right now. I understand that. But like, do you think, you know, when they when they get of, of an age where you feel like you might... Uh, want to show him some movies that you really liked? Would Mannequin make the cut? It's an interesting question. It, you know, I would say that overall, it probably hasn't aged spectacularly well, especially with you know the the I guess gay bashing you could call it that we were already referencing. But it is still very funny to me. Like I still enjoy jokes that I remembered enjoying a decade or more ago. So I think I would probably let them watch it at some point. I don't know. I mean, of all the movies from the 80s that I would want them to see, it's not the top on my list, but it's probably in my top 50 of movies I would want. Not my top 50 movies, but my top 50 movies from the 80s that I would be willing to share with my kids. I think it's in that list. That's a that's a big list. Yeah. As we know, we haven't you haven't seen a lot of movies from the right. 80s. I'm surprised we've got 50. Right. I want them to see the Back to the Futures, and then okay. after that, I don't Good know. Good choice. That's it. Just those three. Right. That's what's most important to me. Oh well, I think I think Manic was pretty good. It's, I, I I really enjoyed James Spader, though. I as you know, we were talking about. I think he did kind of just like showed up, and they're like, "All right, we'd like you to play this like completely over the top and ridiculous." And Spader's like, "Totally, I can do that." Right. And I remember bother reading the script. I'm just gonna show up and like you know, right. deliver I, my lines. I know just what you want, and I've got <laughs> yeah. it. Um, but I think it got. I mean, you know. It's not like the world's best role because it is so ridiculously over the top, but I kind of enjoy that that element of it. Right. And uh, I mean, he's he yes, he's completely over the top, but he is so committed to the role. Like he is totally Oh, he doesn't break character. Right. He he takes it seriously. He does a nice job with it and he um I don't know, like you a lot of times uh, to me the hallmark of a great actor or a great performance is i feel like i would have to hate this actor in real life but he does something here where you know absolutely you would think you should hate this person in real life but at the same time in a way that i don't mind here i can still feel that he's acting so i know i don't have to hate james spader 
There's something special about it. There's a magical <laughs> element to this performance that really, I don't know, it works for me. It's like as though James Spader came to life and it was just the two of you. <laughs> no, it is nothing like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> that would be a great movie, by the way. I mean, I was very young when this film came out. and Yes. I can't imagine you saw this in your oh no this was definitely rented from the video store where you had to take the little index card out of the vhs box oh wow and i always had to ask my parents do we want the the vhs box or the betamax box which Ooh. index card do i take and they would remind me it was vhs and uh take it to the front and they get you the video but i mean we definitely rented it i definitely saw it as a kid but i mean i uh so my my love for her when I was I don't know nine or ten and saw this for the first time was different from how I might have loved her later. But seriously, <laughs> I think Kim Cattrall really doesn't uh, for a ridiculous role. She really does an impressive job. I think. Oh, well, she does. I mean, she again, she kind of commits to it too. I was I was looking up. I was curious to know there. I think she's like six older, six years older than Andrew McCarthy in mm. this film. Um, she's like thirty one or something like that. Uh, but. Yeah, I mean, she's she's clearly gone on to have an, an illustrious illustra career. <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible. I apologize profusely. <laughs> it was coming out of my mouth. I couldn't even stop it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, I, I I enjoyed her quite a bit. I thought she does she does a nice job of uh, you know playing the sort of wide eyed ingenue. Um, and yeah, they seem like they're having fun. And I think that's what that's another thing that sort of characterizes eighty movie eighties movies for me is it just it often seems like the people are just having a lot of fun. I don't know if that's true or if it's just because they're like all really, really high. <laughs> a lot of cocaine. A lot of cocaine in the eighties. <laughs> yes. Uh but I mean, I don't know. It's I'm glad that movie exists. I don't think you can have too many movies in the mannequin uh I don't know what the word is. Genre? <laughs> oeuvre? Yeah, oeuvre. Let's yes. go with oeuvre. But uh, I don't know. I feel like they did a nice job with it. Um, you know, the to me, there's clearly several over-the-top characters. You've got Hollywood who's over-the-top, and you've got James Spader who's over-the-top. Uh, your friend, um, uh, the guy, G.W. Bailey. The, yes. You know, he's he's over-the-top in a different way. But I feel like it just it all works. Like from the very outset, the script is ridiculous and the story is ridiculous. But like you're saying, they're having fun and they commit to it. It's it's a very, it's just it all works together. And like every actor who's got lines feels like a well created role, even if they're one note roles. Like the Armand who just spends the whole movie lusting sadly, after Roxy. Sadly, the the one as we're pointing out, the guy who's actually from Egypt. Yes, <laughs> and then Kim Cattrall clearly not from Egypt. And then he's just got that like there's they didn't need the beat of he is unable to perform sexually at that moment, but it's a, it's a really great <laughs> satisfying kind of story. Br- right, brings his story to a close. An ironically satisfying moment from him. But, the um. The uh, the most unbelievable thing in this movie, and this is a movie where a mannequin comes to life, is the amount of attention played paid to the window displays at a department store. <laughs> yes. It's like there was no television in the eighties or something. I don't know. It seems very odd. I, I like to think it takes place in an alternate reality where that is like the highest form of entertainment available. Yes, it is kind of hilarious how everybody is gathering around and it's the talk of the town. Wow, did you see that window display? Uh, even in New York City, I feel like that would have been more believable than it is in Philadelphia, where I just don't think about people window shopping to such a degree. So I, I've got to share with you, um, and and you may you may or may not like this. I don't know, but I got to share with you the uh, the critical response to Mannequin. 
according to Wikipedia, despite its success in box office, the film received mostly negative reviews on its release. It currently holds a 22% rotten rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It has since become a cult classic. It was savaged by Leonard Maltin, who called it, quote, absolute rock-bottom fare, dispiriting for anyone who remembers what movie comedy should be. (laughs) Moreover, the film received two thumbs down on Siskel and Ebert in the movies. In his print review, Roger Ebert awarded it a half-star, deeming it dead and full of cliches. Rita Kempley of the Washington Post called the film made by, for, and about dummies. And Janet Maslin of the New York Times puts the blame on the writer-director. As co-written and directed by Michael Gottlieb, Mannequin is a state-of-the-art showcase of perfunctory technique. Wow. And then, in 1991, a partial sequel called Mannequin 2 on the move was released and directed by Stuart Raphael. The film was dubbed as, quote, one of the worst follow-ups ever made. Oh, it looks Which terrible. you feel like if it, if it did that, like if the first one was received that badly, Wow. That's impressive. So uh, what's interesting to me is that um, uh, I'm seeing here that the film was specifically designed to appeal to women. And that's why they cast Andrew McCarthy, because he was uh, he had strong appeal with girls, which was the target audience. Uh, Fine, whatever. But uh, it appealed to me, too. So there. (laughs) And uh, in a press release, Michael Gottlieb, the film's director, said he got the idea for the movie when he was walking down Fifth Avenue and thought he saw a mannequin move in the window of Bergdorf Goodman, which is a store I had not ever heard of until I read this week. That's an old old department store, yeah. So it's yeah, essentially but... it is based on a true story. <laughs> yeah, he, he, it's really high. Uh, <laughs> well, see that mannequin move? Wow, that'd make a great movie. <laughs> two, two hours in out of 2010, that. Gladden Entertainment executives were said to be in the early development stage of a remake, envisioning a plot of a man crushing on a laser display hologram as opposed to a mannequin. However, no further detail was made publicly. Have that. you heard anything else about Gladden Entertainment in yeah. the last 25 years? Let's review our successes for the past 30 years. We got mannequin. Oh, we got mannequin. The end. American, it is. Um, yeah, yeah. That the. Oh wait, hold on. They also did Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, all right. So they were classics then. <laughs> yeah, movies starring Andrew McCarthy. That was kind of their demographic. Uh, they also did the Fabulous Baker. The Boys. Fabulous Baker Boys, but actually, I hear is quite a good movie, though I've not seen it. Nor have I. Um. Wow. And then the guy was found shot dead in a row. Okay, so this got depressing really, really quick. Right. Well, he's um, emotionless like a mannequin now. All right. Well, have we uh, have we put Mannequin to bed, as it were? Uh, not as many times as Andrew McCarthy did. Hey-oh! Hey-oh! Well, Dan, it was a pleasure to share Mannequin with you. I've loved this movie since the first time I saw it, and I'm, I'm glad that you at least uh, didn't hate it. I, I, I was very I was entertained. I'll give you that. Um, should we discuss? Yeah, what's coming next? next? So, you know, I, I had a couple ideas, but then during our conversation, it, it appeared that you told me you have never seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? That is true. I have never seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Now, that is one of my favorite 1980s comedies, and I think you might quite enjoy it. So we're going to put that one on the docket for next time. Is that the first one or the second one? That is the first one. Although the second one, surprisingly underrated. It's pretty good in its own right. But we'll start with the first one. Do they both involve time travel? Um, To a certain extent, yes, they do. And in fact... I, I put this up there pretty solidly with I mean Back to the Future is a different kind of different kind of story in certain ways but um the 80s were a good time for time travel comedies well, if you will. I'm excited to see it. I know almost nothing about it and Well, I'm excellent. That's what we like. All right, so we'll uh we'll put that one on the list for the next episode of Not Playing with Lex and Dan. Thanks Dan. Thanks Lex until then. Uh keep 
watching the movie. We don't have a t- <laughs> I got nothing. Until then, keep nothing. watching movies that we haven't seen. <laughs> but not without us. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's my genitalia. You, why is people just applaud? What's wrong with these people? They're sheep. Well, that was fine genitalia, everybody. How about that? <laughs>